Let's pray. Dear Lord, I want to thank you so much for what we've experienced here so far. Um, I want to just ask for your presence, Lord, to, to just really fall in this room, Lord. And may your Holy Spirit truly give us eyes to see, ears to hear, minds to understand and comprehend, and, and hearts to really fall in love with you, Lord. May, your, uh, may you bless this word, and may you bless your servant as he, uh, as he brings it, Lord, for I know I will fail in in letting people know just how amazing and how awesome you are because you really, really don't have a clue, Lord. There is no one like you. You are holy. You are righteous. You are everything uh, that we're not without the blood of Jesus, without the cross, and without the Holy Spirit. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So... Here we go. We're on uh, part three. I thought I would finish this up today, but it looks like I'm going to finish it up um, next week. Um, and I'm kind of going to have to finish up next week because I'm uh, we're about to take. Uh, I'm about to not be here for two weeks. You know, just kind of let you in on it. Uh, Tanya and I, you know, we'll be married uh, 15 years this December. Uh, so uh, that's pretty cool. And. And we're going to do a little something to celebrate that, you know, even though it's early. I have to kind of take my vacations early before school. It's alternative school gets really bad because it's like uh, we have seven or eight kids right now. But at the end of the nine weeks, we get in a bunch of them that hadn't been doing right in their school. It's like we, we send three back and get eight, and then this whole cycle starts where it gets tougher and tougher at my work. So... Last year, I took it on around our anniversary, and, you know, I, I left things kind of hard at work. So that's just trying to be mindful of my coworkers. So that's one. And then the Sunday after that, I will be up in Tennessee at Gum Springs Baptist preaching for the Carpenters for Christ. They have their banquet. And uh, I just learned that whoever kind of they help, that preacher comes up there and preaches for them. And I'm like, wow, okay. <laughs> so that's, that's going to be. So you may hear that message the week after I... <laughs> Uh, I come back for that, but but we'll we'll see. So, the way of the mighty, uh, part three, and last week I kind of ended off with uh, Genesis chapter seventeen, uh, starting in verse seven, and and he's telling this to Abraham: "I'll make nations of you, and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants. It's going to be important after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. Okay, the whole land of Canaan, and we talked about how Canaan, you know, got started before Canaan was a blessed uh, land that was to be overtaken or a cursed land. It was a, he was a cursed man. And not really because of what he did, because of the way his daddy was Ham. So, you know, Canaan was cursed because he had a dad who had just, you know, this, this gross sin in his heart. And, and Noah knew that with his dad having that in his heart, you know, you're going to be cursed. The curse is actually going to follow you on, fall on you and all of your descendants after you. He says, but this whole land of Canaan where you're now an alien, I'm going to give you as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants. And we're going to pause right there just for a second because I want you to think about this. On the next slide um, where I have the picture of the promised land, we'll go ahead and go to that. Guys, this is all the promised land. And that Bible verse right there just said that all that land's going to belong to your descendants. And even though we may look at it and say, well, it's just that little part right there that belongs to Abraham's descendants. It's not. 
It is this whole region. And it's even on over into here in the upper parts of Africa. It's all Abraham's descendants. Because I don't know if you've ever thought about this. But Abraham is the father of all three of these major religions of being a Jew, of being a Christian, and being a Muslim. You know, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but you know... um, but Abraham, you know, when he chose to kind of do things the natural way because he said, look, I'm so old and Sarah's so old, we're not going to be able to have a child. Let's take Hagar and I will, you know, take her as also my wife or concubine and I will get her pregnant and maybe that's how God wants me to have descendants. Well, she did and she had a kid uh, named Ishmael. And, you know, Sarah was so jealous of him, especially once Isaac came along, that she had him banished. And he went out to another part. And, guys, through Ishmael comes Muhammad, and through Muhammad comes the Quran, which is the, um, which is the Islam, which is the Muslim religion. So when he says this land is going to be to you and your descendants, it's all his descendants. Now, when you go back to the verse and see this one part, go back one slide. He says, and I will be their God. Well, you know, that's where it's kind of like, well, the, the God that we know, you know, as Christians is obviously not the God that they know, uh, you know, as Muslims and all that kind of stuff. But the part where he says, I'm going to give this as an everlasting possession to you guys. This is like 3,500 years ago. You know, this is amazing. You know, when we think about American history, you know, we go in there and it's like, okay, well, where do we even begin? Most scholars say the place you begin is in uh, like 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue, you know, and he gets all his credit for finding this already occupied land for some reason. But there's American history. So like, and then you start thinking about Israeli history. And it's like, well, let's go to class for Israeli history. Where are we going to start? Well, in the beginning, God created the heaven. And I'm like, wow, that, that is so cool, like, to be in their class. But, you know, we, are, we have such a young nation. But this is, like, going on. This everlasting thing has been going on for 3,500 years. So go back to the picture. And you can see all that promised land right now. I think these uh, stats I could find were, were from 2010. 93% of that whole area from here all the way up into the northern uh, countries, you know, in, in Africa, 93% are Muslim. That's 317 million people, which is the entire population of the United States, okay? And then... inside, just scattered about in here, are the Christians. And you need to check out Voice of the Martyrs. You need to read these stories of Christians over there being like Christ. They are witnessing for the one true God. And they're being murdered. They are being killed. They're being crucified. They're doing all these unspeakable things. But they compromise 3% of that area. And then only about 1%, 1 1.5% or 5 million Jews... All are concentrated right here in this area. Miraculous story of how they're even there. Miraculous that they even are still alive because everybody around them hates them. And they're outnumbered hundreds to one. 
and yet they still are right there because God said an everlasting covenant between you and me. So just really is an amazing story when you really think about it, even up into today. So to continue on with Numbers chapter 13, starting verse 1, you know, we're looking at this, I think this is about 450 years after Abraham. You know, they've already done the left the land of Canaan, and they, they, they dwelt in Egypt, and Egypt was salvation for a while, but they stayed in that salvation too long and never went back, and they became slaves. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, send me, and they've already come out of Egypt, they've crossed the Red Sea, you know, and, and they've, they've been wandering in the desert for like two years. They got the Ten Commandments. They got everything they need to go and build a, a new country. But the Lord says, before I give you the land, send men to spy out the land of Canaan. Okay, I just want you to go check it out. Okay, and I got really bogged down on Canaan last week, which I'm giving the children of Israel. It's already yours because I say I'm giving it to you. You know, go ahead and claim it as yours. From each tribe of their fathers, you shall send a man, every one a leader among them. Okay, a leader. So I kind of got a little stuck on this, this word leader because the main text I've been using for the mighty man comes from Isaiah chapter 3. Behold, the Lord of hosts does take away from Jerusalem and Judah the stay in the staff. Okay? You, you, won't, you won't produce anything, and your supply, your staff, all this is going to go away. Your bread and the whole stay of order, these things will become scarce when a nation is under judgment. When, when, that's the first signs. You're just going to find that your natural resources kind of start to dry up. And the mighty men. Men will not stand up for truth and righteousness anymore. They'll always pawn it off on somebody else. You'll see men of war with these warring spirits. You know, the, the men of prayer, the men of renown, the judge, the prophet, the wise, the ancient. These would just become less and less significant and less and less visible when a nation is truly under judgment. And then you go on and he gives you the example. In the next, in verse uh, 6, a man's going to take a hold of his brother, of his house, of his father, saying, you have clothing, you've got everything it takes, rule over us and let this ruin be under your hand. Take responsibility for this. And this is what Moses is asking these guys to do. I'm going to send you out as leaders, and it's going to be your responsibility to spy out this land and come back and give us a report. But this, the, in that day, he'll swear, saying, not me. I'm not a healer. In my house, I don't have what it takes to do this. I don't have as much as you think that I have. Don't make me a ruler of the people. So when judgment comes upon a nation, people are going to be like, no, give it to somebody else. But I want you to understand that America, we're at a point where it is way worse than just people saying, no, I won't. Now, of course, we have those, especially like even in the church. No, give it to somebody else. I don't want to take responsibility for that. I like being able to come and go as I please. And if I need to miss a Sunday, I'm just going to miss a Sunday and go. I don't want to be responsible for that. So, you know, you have that in churches but you have people today you know I was just reading this this week to think about how bad this is I was reading about an NBA player now here's a guy that 
I'm talking millions of kids look up to her, even at the alternative school. You know, he'll, they'll throw the ball between their legs and try all these goofy moves right before I swat it right in the wall. Okay, just kidding. But I do that, you know, I can't help it. But anyway, they try all this stuff, you know, and they'll call this player's name. Well, I'm this person. I want this number. because. So here's, here's an NBA player that's got everything it takes to go out and lead people for good. Lead people to Christ if he knew Christ. To go to war with all this culture that says, give me more money, give me more stuff. This is really what makes you... This is really what makes you happy. Give me more pleasure. Give me more sex. All that kind of stuff. That's where, you know, life really happens. So anyway, he's in a lawsuit right now because him and two of his buddies basically gang raped this girl really late at night. Okay? Now, they didn't convict them criminally. So she's filing this civil lawsuit against him. And it's unbelievable that it's not criminal. So, you know, here these guys are. And here's the transcript from the court case. Because they're not trying to say that what they did was bad. They're just trying to say, they're not trying to say, well, we did something wrong. They're trying to say, well, this is a girl who does stuff like this. This is their whole defense, okay? So here's a guy that, man, here, you go out and lead these people. No, no, not me. I'm not a leader. And this is his attitude. You know, here's the the court transcript. He says, did you guys say, did the two guys who were with you say why they wanted to go to plaintiff's home on the night in question? Okay, because there, there is like one, two in the morning. So, no, no, and this is the NBA star. So they just said, hey, it's the middle of the night. Let's go over to plaintiff's house and, and never gave you a reason why they wanted to go over there? No, but we're men, you can assume, Okay. We're men, you can assume. And then the, the, the lawyer says, I'm sorry? I said we men, you can assume. Like, we leaving to go out to someone's house at 1 o'clock in the morning. They ain't nothing to talk about. Okay? And that's, that's the transcript. That's, that's, that's what he says. So we've reduced. Now, we're men. So, okay, what does it mean to be a man? It, it, a man, it means, well, I'm going to go out and I'm going to satisfy my sexual desires because I have all these needs and that's what it means to be a man. That's what we have. It's, we're, we're beyond all this. You know, just like, nah, I don't, I don't want to preach the gospel. I don't want to go out and try to, try to save anybody. No, I'm here. I'm a man. I'm here to satisfy all of my needs. So, but if you think about it, I was thinking in a very small way, these men are kind of, at least a little bit respectable because the Bible does say be hot or be cold. Don't do this in the middle thing. And so when you think about people who claim no God, okay, as far as I know, this NBA player has never said he's a Christian and I've never seen anything, you know, God bless or anything like that. I've never seen it. So as far as I know, he's not a believer. And so he lives like he's not a believer, The last atheist, you know, that I had a really deep conversation with, I told him, I said, I respect you. He's like, well, why do you respect me? Because all the other Christians just condemn me to hell. I said, well, you say there's no God, right? He says, right. I said, but you also live like there is no God. I will give you this. An awful lot of Christians that I know say there is a God. 
but then live like there is no God. They know that things are wrong to do, and they just do them anyway with no regard that they are going to stand before the living God and give an account because you deliberately disobeyed what you know he wants you to do, okay? And so we're moving into this from, from even atheist to, to anti-theist. The last one I talked to, he says, I'm an atheist, but I'm becoming anti-theist. I'm like, well, what do you mean? He says exactly what it says. I'm against those who believe in God. So I think that's why we see in America this new level. It's no more just non-believers not believing and not caring what, what anybody else does. It's these atheists saying, I want, I'm against what you do. And really, we kind of deserve it. I mean, that's what Christians have done over the years as we had the power, we had Christ, and all we did was going ahead and saying, this is wrong, you're going to hell. There's a reason that those kids at the alternative school look at me and, and they say this. I hear them all the time. You know, they'll see somebody that, that's homosexual and they'll say, well, they're going to hell. And like, and here's some kids that obviously say they believe, but they don't live anywhere near like they believe, and they're just kids, and, and I understand that. But then they'll hear about somebody that killed themselves, and say, wow, they're in hell immediately because they killed themselves. And one day I just had to stop. I said, guys, y'all have got to quit saying that. If you say that you're a Christian at all, you've got to quit saying that. And they're like, why? I said, because there's only one thing that you go to hell for. And everybody in the room went, well, let's go. Mr. Hopkins, what is it? I said, the only thing you go to hell for is rejecting the love and forgiveness that God offers through Jesus Christ on the cross. That is it. Period. Everybody's got a different walk, a different journey after that. It looks so different to everybody on the planet, their journey after they make that decision. Period. That's the only thing. And, and it just brought on a big bunch of questions, you know. And so I was able to at least present that there that day. And that's a dangerous thing for me to do in the public school system, as you already know. So as Christians, we ask ourselves, okay, does God exist? Everybody in here would say yes. But then, do you live like God exists? It's very important. So we're, we're, I think we're way beyond this. No, I don't want to let somebody else do it. It's, it's actually these people with all these influence are taking them in the complete opposite direction. So we go to Numbers chapter 13. One more time. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I'm giving to the children of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers, you shall send a man, every one of them, a leader among them. Okay, so next verse. So at the Lord's command, Moses sent them out from the desert of Paran. Okay, here these guys are. They have been dispersed. All of them leaders among the Israelites. So these are the leaders that go out there that represent each of their tribes. These are their names, okay? Now, I just went ahead and put the names on there and didn't... Uh, Put the rest of the verse. I hope that's not taken away from the Lord. But I just want you to see this. Shamua. I'm just going to read these names. Shamua, Shaphat, Caleb, Egal, 
Hoshea, and I want you to think about these names. How many have you heard of before? Palti, and then the next one, Gadil, Gadai, uh, Amil, Sether, Nabi, and Gul. Okay, I may not even be pronouncing them right. But how many of those names do you recognize? One, okay, and you're about to see in the next verse that you know another one. These are the names of the men Moses sent to explore the land. And then in parentheses, Moses gave Hoshea, that guy that was on that first page, about two names under Caleb, son of Nun, the name Joshua. Okay, so he actually changed his name. Moses, Hoshea. Um, Hoshea meant salvation. Okay, just salvation. Okay, like obviously, you know, in this world, we think there's many paths to salvation, especially in America. Ask me what it means to be saved. Ask some people that I work with what it means to be saved. Completely different, completely different approaches. So Moses changed Hoshea's name. Hoshea meant salvation to the name Joshua, which means God is salvation. Okay, and, and somehow the way the Hebrew and the Greek worked out in the name Joshua and Jesus pretty much mean the same thing. God is salvation. So now, how many of these names do you know? Two out of the twelve. Two out of the twelve. Those names we know, and these were the leaders. You know what's messed up too? I think about the, it's my 20th year teaching. And you know which students I remember? I remember the great ones. And I remember the really, really bad ones. And like everybody in between just kind of just, just fades out, you know. And it just kind of is the way it is. So there's two people we recognize because they came back with the good reports. They came back with the trust and faith still in God. So next verse. When Moses sent them... To explore Canaan, okay, he sent them to explore. Here's what he wanted you to find out. Go up through the Negev and into the hill country. See what the land is like. Okay, so for one, I want you to check out what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak. Is there a bunch of them? Is there few? Is there many? Asking all these questions. Keep going. Are they few or many? What kind of land do they live in? Are they unwalled? Are fortified, okay? And we know that through Joshua going and eventually taking Jericho, man, that they, that they have these big fortified walls. But maybe that took them 40 years to build. You know, maybe 40 years, this is 40 years earlier before they took Jericho. So maybe it wasn't as hard of a task, but putting it off for 40 years may have made it even harder. And it maybe even took more faith because maybe they weren't walled up back then. You know, they should have been like, God is more than able to give, these, give us these people. You know, Joshua, 40 years later, has got this big wall to contend with, but it doesn't move him. He says, well, he can, God can still give it to us. And so God says, yeah, just walk around it for a week and I'll knock it down for you. You know, like, no big deal. These things are so easy for God. But from our perspective down here, it just looks so impossible. Are they unwalled? Are they fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile? Is it poor? Is it, are these trees, are there trees on it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. It was the season for the first ripe grapes. So they went up and explored the land from the desert of Zin and Zen is a good Scrabble word, by the way. As far as Rehob, toward Lebo Hamath, they went up through the Negev and came to Hebron, 
where Ahiman, uh, Shishai, and Talmai, the descendants of Anak, and anytime you see the descendants of Anak, you need to start thinking Goliath and giants and these huge people. He, that's where they lived. Hebron had been built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. Okay, so he's just asking, go up and check it out. And there's questions we want to answer. We want to know everything about what we're going to take. And God told them to do this. You know, it's almost like it would have been better if God had just said, go, and they had been ignorant of all this. But this is a faith test. This is to see what's really inside these guys' hearts. When they reached the valley of Eskol, they cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. So Eskol, or Eskol means a cluster. So it's the valley of clusters of grapes. Two of them carried these clusters of grape on a pole between them. Now, you know, and I, I've gotten grapes from Aldi, and they're, like, really good. But, like, my wife and I does not have to get a pole and, like, put them on. And, all right, let's take these grapes home, baby. I mean, that's crazy. Two of them carried on a pole between them along with some pomegranates and figs. So the land, amazingly, amazingly blessed. That place was called the Valley of Clusters or Valley of Esco because of the cluster of grapes the Israelites cut off there because they were so amazed at this and like, wow, let's call that the Valley of Those Grapes right there because those are the biggest things I've ever seen. It's way better than what Aldi has. At the end of 40 days, they returned from the land, uh, from exploring the land, okay? Now, I'm going to stop right here for one reason because it's 1104 and I'll finish this up next week. But the second reason I got some other stuff I want you I want you to think about. We are about fifty-six days, you know, hopefully, if everything goes out. We can't maybe Danny soon will give us a, a definitive day, but but we're thinking that first week of November we're gonna be able to do this. And that's about that's fifty-six days away. They explored this land for forty days. Okay, so I'm giving you sixteen more days, and I want you to think about our land and the opportunities that you have. I, I just want you to look at what we offer over there. And hopefully you have one of these sheets that Tanya or the the, the uh, people at the door gave you. And if you don't, we can get one in your hands, okay? I put them in color, you know, to make it look a little more serious because if it's black and white, you might just chunk it like, whoa, there's color ink on this thing. I need to check this out and take this serious, okay? So um, look, at, look at what we offer here. This is, this is our, our ministries. And guys, we need people to do this. And we, and we don't need to be one of these churches, I believe, where, where it's the same person that gets stuck doing the same thing. Well, they'll do it. Let's just leave them over. We got to be in a partnership in this. Because, I mean, what does, what does the Bible say? It says, go and make disciples. Somehow, we've reduced that to get people to say a prayer. That's the American version of Christianity. If you get somebody down here, down front, and you lead them in a prayer, go ahead and count them as salvations. Go ahead and put the number on Facebook and make your church look way better than everybody else because you got way more people to say the prayer than everybody else. Because I look at some of these numbers that I see online, and I think, Tanya, if that many people are really redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, and that many people are really saved, then how is our nation not completely turned upside down because 12 people back in the, in, in the Bible days here turned the whole world you know, upside down. So that is the beginning and it's a great place to start. But after that is a growing 
process. I mean, how many of you are glad you don't know only what you knew back when you first said the prayer of salvation? I'm glad that I know a lot more than I did as a 16-year-old kid repeating the prayer. And guys, yes, I, I, felt, I felt forgiven. I felt clean. It was, it was wonderful, but that was just the start. That's just the seed going in the ground so that it can produce. You know, if it's an oak tree that gets planted in the ground and watered, why do we get mad at it? Because it hadn't produced more acorns. That's going to take time. That's going to take growth. That's going to take watering. And we need people involved at every level with our kids back there. I want people back there who love God. I, I really don't care about the curriculum. As long as there are people back there who, who love God and my kids are exposed to them. That's why I wonder why so many people are like, well, if the children's program is good, I'll take my kid there. Like, no, it's way better for you to be there and experience God and be full of the Holy Spirit and let your kids see you full of the Holy Spirit day after day at your house than it is to go back there and see somebody else full of the Spirit of God for one hour a week. You know, make sure it's the parents. It's, and it's mainly, I believe, the daddy who, who, if he's full of the Spirit, he wins the whole house. He calls us to go and make disciples, to win the world, to grow the church. We are the hands and feet. Are you actively doing this? Are you actively making disciples? I believe he can use me to make a difference. Do you? Are you equipped to do this? Guys, I'm not, I've never been to seminary a day in my life, but I did go to school to be a math teacher. All I'm doing is applying what I know about teaching, period, and, and doing it with the Bible. That's all I'm good for. Do you think something in me doesn't want to do this Isaiah thing and say... Man, just let somebody else do it. You know, I want to go to the church two miles from my house where my favorite preacher is and just go and sit and let somebody else do all of this work. But I cannot do that. I know I would be outside of the will of God if I did that. It is up to me. I have to make a move. I am commanded to go and make disciples, and so are you. And you will not start on some grand scale. I promise you, I started preaching to an empty auditorium at Tomasi Salem after everybody else left. I started preaching in my garage to Tanya's cat. I started preaching to six people at the Methodist Church in Salem, that's where God, and he just, he's grown it and he's had me teach to more and more people. But I had to, had to be willing to do the so insignificant before I did the significant. And the insignificant is not for everybody else, it's for you. It is to grow you. So I want you to look at this and see where can you participate? Where can you get involved? Even if it's one time a month, even if it's every other month, could you take care of somebody's baby in the nursery and just pray over them, sing them songs, put songs in their heart? Can you, can you pray for them? You know, can you do that? 
Can the kids' connection? And it says, you know, they break for the summer months. Can you go back there and help Nellie? Are you good enough to where you can lead the whole thing for just a Sunday? Once every month, every other month, so she could come in here and sit in our service? Or do you just want her back there Sunday after Sunday after Sunday? After, or, you know, we, we, can, can you help with that? You know, I would do it for her too. I don't mind getting somebody up here to, to preach. And I'll go back there and do Nellie's job for a Sunday and let her come in here and sit in the service. Could you help with Connect 40? Could you help on Wednesday night? Mike, he does such a good job. I went over there Wednesday and just did the worship part. Just played and sang some songs to the Lord. And I loved it. And that was all I did. Can you bake something for them and take them over there and let them eat it? Can you just say, man, we appreciate you kids. We love you and let them see like, man, there's somebody that really cares about us. Look at that. They took the time to cook for us and bring stuff over here for us. I mean, they just need to see people who really love God, who say they're Christians and live like they're Christians. They need to see that. We have on Sunday, Chad takes care of our uh, H2O group, our high schoolers. Same thing. Could you bake something? Could you take them over there? Could you, could you give him a break? Man, say, look, this Sunday, I got it. I'll teach these kids. I'll do it. Not asking you to do it all the time, but can you start somewhere? First impressions, greeting, uh, being an usher, coffee bar. And you know what we had on there before? We had setup team. Guess what's going away in a couple of months? Man, we're going to set up one time, and it's going to stay set up over there. I mean, praise God. That's, that's, that, what a blessing that's going to be. Kids check in and security. Man, we have people who just walk around. They can still they stand right there and hear everything, but every once in a while, they walk around, they look, and they make sure that we're safe, that, that somebody does try anything, that we catch it way out there. Would you be willing to do that? Would you be able to stand in the back and listen and say, pray and say, Lord, if there's anything that could happen here, will you, will you just let me know? Will you let me feel something in my spirit and let me walk around these premises and let me catch anybody who would try to come and harm us? Because I know the devil. He, he wants to seek and kill and destroy. I mean, guys, what a powerful ministry. And, and I get no more credit for this than you do back there if you do it as unto the Lord. The media, the band, the sound. Is there any part of this you could help with? Can you strum a guitar? Even halfway, okay, we'll still put you up here. And we'll still let you, but we'll give you a chance to get good. Because all we care about is honoring Him. You know, I'd rather see people make mistakes and have to, and, and, and struggling through a storm, but still doing it for Him than see professional musicians come in here and hit every note perfectly. I would much rather see people just coming in here and doing it for him. And maybe they're tired, maybe they had a long week, and they come in and they say, you know what, Lord, thank you for giving me my talents. Will you bless me returning them to you today, and will you let your presence show up in this place? Period. What an awesome, awesome thing. What an awesome service. That's somebody that says, I believe in God, and lives like they believe in God. Small group leaders, we don't have very many of them now. But could you do that? I don't care if it's just you and somebody else in the church that says, hey, once a month or every other week, let's get together and eat and let's read a little section of Scripture and let's talk about it and let's pray. 
I mean, what a place to start. It don't have to be 15 other people in your group and you're cooking all the time. It could just be you and somebody else. And then it'll be amazing. You'll be out. You'll be talking to somebody. Say, I got a little Bible study with one of my friends. I've been looking for a Bible study. Well, come to ours. Come on. I mean, this is how this works. Before I did the preaching thing, I did the small group thing. You know, I taught six other people in my little small group. Uh, Or could you do the care team? When needs arise, would you be one of the people that go out and reach out to them and be a person who says they're a Christian and actually lives like they're a Christian? Guys, this is what it's all about. This is ministry, and we've got to really think about what we want our church to look like when we go over there. So I'm asking you for the next 56 days, eight weeks, seven, eight weeks, to scope out the land. What do we offer? What do we want it to look like to the public? How are we going to reach people? How are we going to grow people? How are we going to stick with our mission statement? Well, we have people who pursue God ourselves. We pursue God relentlessly. We fall in love with God deeply, and then we serve God wholeheartedly. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much. For your word, thank you so much that we're so close, Lord, to enter in our own promised land. I pray that we'll take this message to heart, Lord, and people will get involved with making disciples and understand that it starts with what seems so insignificant, but it's not for everybody else at first. It's for us. Are we willing to obey you in the smallest thing? It had to seem like such a pointless thing to do to walk around a wall for seven days. But when that wall came down, Lord, it's like, oh, we're so thankful we were obedient because he did all the work for us. Lord, show us what we are to do. Show each one of us our part and where we are to get involved in ministry and growing young lives. And there's nothing insignificant, Lord, if we do it for you and with a pure heart. Lord, just fill us with joy and fill us with the want to do these things. May this never be a have to, Lord. Lord, forbid the day that I ever have to preach. May I always want to preach and get to preach. Lord, so put that kind of spirit, fill us with your Holy Spirit today and put the spirit in us that gets to do something for you, not has to. There is no one like you. Bless us, Lord, as we leave here until we return next week. May our light so shine before men that others will see our good deeds and glorify you, our Father in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.